I want to begin by just talking about two words tonight. Two words that, that stand out in this entire book of Titus, okay? Two words. The first word is doctrine. Can you please say the word doctrine? doctrine. Let's say it a little bit louder. One, two, three. Doctrine. doctrine. If you're watching online, type in the chat, doctrine. Doctrine. Here's the second word I want to talk about as a theme in this book. It's the word lifestyle. Can you say the word lifestyle? lifestyle? Let's try it one more time with some enthusiasm or you're going to have to stand up. Lifestyle. Right? I should count because I messed that all up. Ready? One, two, three. Lifestyle. lifestyle. All right, good. Doctrine, lifestyle. Let me answer the question, what is doctrine? The word doctrine simply means teaching. When it comes to Christianity and what we believe that's what our doctrine is. It's what we believe about Jesus and his teachings about life. It's doctrine. It's, it's the teachings found in this book right here, okay? When we talk about doctrine, it's, it's what God said. It, it's God's character. It, it explains who God is and, and what God wants for us. It's doctrine. Doctrine tells us who is God. What is he like? What does he want for us? How can we live for him? All right, that's doctrine. You understand? Where do we get doctrine? Shout it out. The Word of God. That's right, the Word of God, the Bible. This is where we get our doctrine, our teaching. We're not getting it just because somebody made it up somewhere, okay? We're getting it from God's Word. That's so important, doctrine. But the second word that I want to emphasize is that word, lifestyle. This book is all about our lifestyle. This, this, this letter of Paul to Titus is about your behavior. It's about our habits. It's about our attitude. That's what lifestyle means. It's, it's everything dealing with your conduct, your manner of living, who you are, what you think, how you behave, your lifestyle. You understand that definition of lifestyle? Here's the thing. When it comes to Titus, Titus is all about learning to live for God. Learning to live for God. It's about having a lifestyle that matches our doctrine. See, here's the, the, the problem that is being addressed in Titus, is that there are people whose lifestyle doesn't line up with God's doctrine. Does that make sense? Or there are teachers in the book of Titus that are teaching in Christian house churches here that are teaching things, but they're not teaching doctrine. And th this whole book is about teaching us to learn to live for God. The, the series title is called Peculiar People, and I'll explain that to you and where that comes from in the book of Titus. But God has called us to be people. If you are a Christian, that means what, what God is going to call you in the book of Titus is, is to have his doctrine, his teaching, what we know about the character of God, who God is, line up with your lifestyle. They go together. Doctrine and lifestyle, they must walk in unity. You could say it this way, does your walk match the word? Does your walk match the word? That's the whole point of the next three weeks is to ask you and to be pointed about looking at this church and our church and churches as a whole, does our walk, our lifestyle match the word, the doctrine that we learn? You ready to go? Amen. All right, here we go. I want to give you some basic facts about Titus. 
and uh, some things that I have learned and some things just so you know what's happening in this book. And then we're going to actually read the entire chapter one, which is actually really short. It's just 16 verses. So facts about the book of Titus. Who wrote the book of Titus? Quick answer. Paul, thank you. Uh, I was hoping to catch you and you'd say, Titus, this is not one of those things. This is the epistle of Paul to Titus, okay? Uh, This was written by the Apostle Paul around 65 AD to this man named Titus. Now, Titus, he was a Cretan. Now, this is like a thing I heard growing up that people would call bad kids, Cretans. Have you ever heard that before? You're a Cretan. Well, Cretans are actually people from an island of Greece, the island of Crete. And it's the largest of the Greek islands, and that is where Titus was from. So this, this letter here that we're reading, uh, see what happened is the Apostle Paul, he had already traveled down to this island, and he was an evangelist, right? He, was, he went in there and he was preaching the gospel. Anybody that hadn't heard, he wanted to tell them the gospel, preach to them, and he was establishing churches as he went. And uh, back in that day, many of these were just house churches. They met in house to house. They met uh, at their homes. The Apostle Paul, he traveled through Crete. And uh, at this point in time, he made it back up north, uh, off of the island, uh, to the mainland here in a place called Macedonia. And he wrote this letter uh, to Titus. Titus wasn't a stranger to Paul. He calls calls him his own son in the faith. He was like his disciple. I don't know if he led him to the Lord, but somehow when he was preaching on that island of Crete, he led uh, Titus to the Lord, or Titus got saved somehow. So Titus was a believer, and he had grown in maturity, and he had traveled with Paul. So one thing that we know about Titus is that he was a problem solver, all right? Uh, You have uh, some people in Scripture where, you know, they were a little timid, this was not Titus. Titus was not timid. Titus was known as like, get in there, get it done, go and fix the issues, right? You didn't know anybody like that? Like if you want to send somebody to get something done, you send this person. This is who Titus was for Paul. He had a special gift in leadership, and he had the responsibility to address some issues going on within the house churches on the island of Crete. And so this is the letter that Paul writes to him, and we're going to see like what's happening on this island. What are the people like? What are the churches like? And what are the, what are the problems? So here's what was going on in summary, and then we're going to read it. The churches were lacking leadership. The churches were lacking leadership. One of the things he says is he's going to send Titus in there to set in order things that are wanting. There, there are these house churches But the leaders are a little messed up. They're turning from the truth. They left the doctrine and they're teaching their own thing. Uh, They're they're telling Jewish stories. Uh, They are adding to the law. They're like giving legalistic rules that these Christians should follow. It's all messed up. They've left doctrine, right? Um, And so uh, that's one of the issues in here. The teachers were were teaching their own version of the truth to make financial gains. And then we're also going to see that the people were heavily influenced by the culture. If you went into these churches in Crete at this time, before Titus was going in, you would find Christians that looked more like the culture than they did look like the Word of God or the doctrine. You follow me? And so that was what he was going in to do, was to help them understand 
that Christians come out of the world and they walk in the Word. And so that's where we're going. Hey, y'all are excited. That's good. Let's read. I'm going to read. You follow along. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. I might try and read it like that guy who like does the audio Bible. So just, just relax and listen, okay? All right, here we go. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. It's pretty harsh. Who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure. Unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. And we are going to stop there. And uh, what I'm going to do over the next few weeks, as we go through this series, Peculiar People, we're going to study this book. I want you to, by the end of the next, uh, these three weeks, I want you to understand the book. I want you to get it. I want you to understand the flow. I want you to know what does this mean to us? Because all of these things are written for our benefit today. Uh, this is helpful for us. It's good for us. This scripture here is given by inspiration of God, and the Bible says it's profitable for us. So we're going to figure out why, why we need to know this here. So uh, let's hop in here, uh, and I'm just going to go really verse by verse. I want to explain some of these things, and there are some uh, special sections I want to point out, okay? Y'all with me? 
Good. All right, cool. So uh, Titus chapter 1, we've got Paul, a servant of God. We have his son in the faith, Titus. But I want to point out in verse uh, number 2, he says something so important going into this letter. He says, uh, let's just start in verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledging of the truth. The truth is so important. That's the doctrine, the truth, the doctrine. They're they one and the same. But this truth that we have is after godliness. The truth we have is a godly truth. It is, it is truth that is like God. It represents him. It tells us who God is. But he says this in verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, and then there's like this parentheses. You ever write something and then you put in parentheses to like, emphasize something. This is like a parenthesis because he talks about God, but then he emphasizes one characteristic of God that's really important to where he's sending Titus. He says, which God that cannot lie. God is all truth, no lie. He is all truth. There's no lie in him. There's no sin in him. He is all truth. God is not a liar. And in verse number 12, he's going to contrast God's character of being someone who doesn't lie with these Cretans or these Cretans that are always liars, the culture of lies. So he points out the God which cannot lie. And uh, here, the, the important thing is to see that when it comes to those two words, doctrine and lifestyle, uh, or in, in our goal to live in a way where our walk matches our word, we have to go into this understanding that God and his character and the doctrine that we learn about him is different than the culture around us. Do you understand? They're different. They're, they're separate. God has his own values. There are things that God says, this is important to me. That are only his. They're, they're, they're important to him. But when you come into the culture, which I'm going to touch on toward the end of tonight, they have a totally different set of values. And so there are certain characteristics that are particular to God. You understand? And as we get next week into chapter 2, that's where this whole title, Peculiar People, comes out. God says you're peculiar because you have qualities like me. You're different than everyone else. It's, you're not peculiar in that you're weird. God doesn't call us to be a whole bunch of weirdos. He calls us to be different because we're like him. We're, we're called to be like him. Godliness. Uh, God has his own set of values. God has his own standards. God has his own set of characteristics that we should mimic and incorporate in our lives. And that's where this chapter is going here. And that, I believe that's why Paul, uh, he really emphasized God that cannot, cannot lie. Let's uh, hop down to verse number five. Why did Paul uh, write this letter to Titus? Here's, here's one of the main reasons. Verse five says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. He says, uh, Titus, I've got a job for you. There's this church, these house churches in this island, and they are, they've got some messed up teachers in there, and I'm sending you in to straighten things out. That's what it means, set in order 
things that are wanting. When you've got things out of order, you've got to line them all back. You've got to, you've got to fix the problem. And, and he was sending Titus in there. He said, you need to go in, Titus, and straighten things out. Well, how, how do we straighten things out? How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word, right? He's, he's going in with doctrine. He's going in with, like he said, the... Um, truth which is after godliness and he's supposed to go in here and straighten things out and and paul says the first thing how how do we how do we if there's problems in the church how does it get straightened out what's the plan the plan was this find godly leaders and put them in leadership god has a special plan to put people in leadership uh you ever heard that phrase everything rises and falls on leadership your family rises and falls on leadership that's why it's important that God called men to be men and men to walk after this doctrine, that their lifestyle matches up with the teaching, matches up with the truth. Their walk, uh, it matches up with the word, right? And so he's saying, listen, uh, Titus, the, the thing you've got to do, the thing that needs to happen in these churches is they need leadership. They need elders. You, you're going to go in every city, and I want you to, uh, to put in place, ordain elders in every city And then he goes in and says, listen, um, there are some qualifications, though. Here's what I want you to look for uh, in these elders. Uh, He he says, uh, let's go ahead and look in verse number 6, and I'm going to walk through these qualifications. Um, Verse number 6 says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. I'm going to stop there and explain some of these things uh, to you. But he's going through these uh, qualifications for elders in churches, right? Here's the thing that I want you to understand as we get into this. He's not listing these qualifications because they're impossible for men to live up to. He's saying there are some men in this city that are following the doctrine. Their, their walk matches the word, and you've got to find those men, and here are the things you're looking for. But as we read through this list, I don't want, and I want to speak directly to men, I don't want men to say, hey, this is a list just for pastors. I don't have to measure up to this list. No, the thing is that godly people Godly men that have their walk match the word have these qualifications already. These are not, and and out of those men that are following this, those are the ones that can be leaders and should be put in leadership. But if these are the qualifications for leaders on an island in Crete, these are qualifications that we should really look to as an example of what it means to have our walk match the word, to be men uh, after godliness, right? Uh, Because if we have this inspired scripture where there's problems in these churches and the solution that God had through the Apostle Paul sending Titus in, the solution was find some godly men and let them lead. We should take notice of that. We need godly men that will step up and lead in homes, in groups, in churches, in ministry. That's what we need. Here's the qualifications. Uh, this first, he says, if any be blameless. Uh, this just means unaccused. There's no accusations against them of sin or, or wrongdoing. They have a good reputation. 
the husband of one wife. That's really, that's really clear. They're the leader of a family. That, that does uh, go into, and there's a whole other message about that, but this is clearly talking about a male, a man, uh, having faithful children not accused of right or unruly. It's a man that has uh, had success in leading a family. Why, why would you put them in leadership? Because other families need help knowing how to lead their family. So you have to have leaders that meet those qualifications. It can be an example. He says, um, uh, a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed. That, that word self-willed means self-pleasing. Uh, somebody that is a leader, a, a godly man that is a leader, is one that's not in it for themselves. They, they're, they're trying to please God primarily. That's why they're in doing what they're doing. That's why, that's their motivator. Uh, they're not pleasing themselves. No, uh, not soon angry. They're not, they're not quick-tempered. Uh, they're not given to wine. Uh, they're, they're not the ones that are struggling with alcohol. Uh, this is, these are qualities of a, somebody that's uh, walking according to the word. No striker. Uh, the, the leaders in these churches were to be people that aren't disposed to just starting fights with people. They're not always ready to like, you know, start arguments and fights, whether that's a physical fight, actually hitting somebody, striking them, or whether it's just stirring up drama. Uh, leaders don't stir up drama. That's just how it works. Uh, not, this is the, the, the way that uh, these qualifications were written. Not disposed to starting fights. No striker. Um, not given to filthy lucre. Uh, that, that means they're not preaching so that they can have financial gain. Now, we see this all the time. There's, uh, there's Instagram channels. There's YouTube videos about preachers, modern day preachers even, that they're just lavishly raking it in, Okay. That is not the motivation for becoming a leader in God's church. You understand? So, so that's, that's what uh, Titus is meant to go do. Find these men. Let, let me move on to some other qualifications in verse 8. But a lover of hospitality, uh, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Uh, this qualification of being a lover of hospitality. Godly leaders love guests. They're fond of guests. That means welcoming of strangers. Whether you have them to your house, you just love welcoming new people into your life. Lover of good men. It speaks to their company. Listen, men that are godly men spend time with other godly men, you understand? And they, they promote virtue. They, they are careful of their company. Uh, this word sober means of sound mind or self-restrained. Uh, they're not obnoxious and crazy and off the, off the hook. They're, they're restrained. Uh, there's a, a soundness about them. This word just is a word that means of good judgment. They make wise decisions or righteous decisions. Uh, he says that they are required uh, to be holy. Uh, when you talk about the word holy, it means consecrated. It means set apart for a purpose. Uh, somebody that's meant to be a leader and a, a man that is walking according to the word, they are set apart for God. That's what they are. That's what their life is about. And then uh, the word here is, the next word is temperate. That means self-controlled or control of their appetites. And the Bible says they're holding fast the faithful word as they've been taught. 
that they may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. There's somebody that understands and has a knowledge of God's word. Okay? Because there are some people that are living contrary to God's word, promoting falsehoods, adding burdens to Christians, legalistic burdens that aren't scriptural. And these men are supposed to exhort and convince these gainsayers. The problem is that there are men teaching falsely in these house churches, and the antidote to this is appointing godly, doctrinal, biblical leaders that have the goal to challenge and to change the culture that's happening with the Christians around them. It's interesting, isn't it? That's the first thing. See, the church must have biblical leadership. We have to notice this. And this was a tough list to read. This is a a tough list because as I read this in my office, I'm thinking, oh, stink, don't read something that's going to disqualify me. You know, you read that, right? This list of qualifications. Uh, But we should all read this list of qualifications. Guys, I'm talking to you, and look inwardly. And you have to, and and maybe you just don't understand this yet. These aren't a list of qualifications that you just have to like bootstrap and work hard to put in your life. These are qualifications that come when you're submitted to the Holy Spirit and God's leading and Christ is Lord of your life. These come out of you as a natural outflow of daily relationship with God. you understand? So it's not something you work up. It's something God works in you. But this is a list of leadership. When, when you look to leaders in ministries that you're a part of or things, people that you follow, these are qualities you should look for in people that you follow people that you listen to, people that you listen to their preaching or people that you serve with. These are leadership qualities according to God's word. And the the Bible teaches a church has to have biblical leadership. It's God's way. It's the way he set it up. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want want you to listen to this. The Bible says Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers Why does God give all these people to the church? He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has set it up that his church has men, men leaders, and there are women leaders in the church as well in some roles. But the idea, I really want to hit on this because Titus is focusing on the fact that there's an island of Crete and they're missing leaders. Where are they? Where are these leaders? Find them, Titus. Go find them and, and appoint them. But God gives these leaders to the church to perfect the saints. Uh, all, all of you that have a level of maturity in Christ, you have somebody that you look to as an example. Uh, whether that was uh, one of the pastors here or a man in your life, and you look to them as an example, and they probably have these qualities I just read about, but we look to them, and they, they mature us, and they teach us. Why, why do the saints need to be perfected or matured? The Bible says, for the work of the ministries, because we have something to do. We have a mission to fulfill. We have a job to do here. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. You know, we, we need to train leaders. We need to have Christians that have a lifestyle that matches up with doctrine so they can go out into the world and do what they're meant to do. 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we are here for, and that's why we need leadership. In Acts chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 1, And in those days, when the number of disciples was, was multiplied, there arose a murmuring among the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So you get in this early church and there was a problem. The, 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 the men, these, these apostles, they were like, they needed to preach and teach and, and spread God's word and, and disciple people and train them. But they also had this responsibility to care for people in the church, right? And there was a problem because it was like one thing was getting dropped. The ball was getting, something wasn't happening. And here's the solution that was offered. In verse, uh, Acts 6, verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And I thought about this. They had needs in that early church. We have needs. We, we always have needs. There's always something that needs to be done. There's a community that needs to be reached. There's ministries that need to be led. But it was interesting because the call was put out, brethren, look among you. Look out among you seven men of honest report. Seven men that meet qualifications of leadership in a church. Seven men that are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. Just as a curious thing, and I'm not asking anybody to answer, I want you to think about seven men that if we had a need that you could appoint. Seven, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. Listen, there will be needs and there will be a time. All I'm saying is that leaders need to be developed in the church and men need to see these things as a responsibility to uh, aspire to. Hey, we need leadership in the church just like they did. We should be able at any given time to say, all right, give me, give me somebody honest report full of the Holy Ghost. That should be something we're all striving for, men, to be biblical leaders, to be spiritual leaders. Titus had the job to search and appoint leaders. These qualifications, again, were not just for the elite. These qualifications were the example and expectation of all the men. The idea is this is how godly men live right here. Uh, this, is how, this is how they live. Uh, not self-willed. They're not pleasing themselves. They're not quickly to be angry. They're not given to wine. They're not uh, starting fights with others. They're not given to filthy lucre. It's not all about money. They love hospitality. They, they love welcoming people in their life. Uh, they, they love good men and good things. They're sober. They have a sound mind. They, they think seriously about serious topics. Uh, they're just. They're righteous. They're holy. They've set themselves apart for God. They're temperate. They're self-controlled. And they have an understanding of God's word. This is what was needed here. I tell you what, this is going to be the need uh, until Jesus comes back. And so it's a challenge to us uh, to look at our lives uh, he goes on then in Titus to describe these other leaders, the ones that were already in the churches that he had to kind of set straight with sound doctrine. The Bible says in Titus 1 verse 10, for, 
There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. I think that is so serious that Paul is right and he says, listen, I don't want you to go in and just act like there's not a problem. You go in and you need to tell them to stop. Uh, sometimes uh, we just kind of like tiptoe, right? We, ah, I don't want to cause an issue. I don't want to cause a problem. It is a problem that needs to be addressed when Christian lifestyle doesn't line up with Christian doctrine. When Christian teachers don't line up with Christian doctrine, okay? That's a problem, and, and it needs to be addressed then. It should be addressed now. Uh, he, he says, uh, one of them, oh, sorry, verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. It is okay to say that is not scriptural when, when you're dealing with teachers, when you're, when you're hearing preachers or uh, things are happening even in, in society. You, you should be able to have a sound judgment as a believer to say, listen, that doesn't line up with doctrine. That was the whole purpose of Titus going in here. Um, he goes on in verse 12, Paul says, One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, uh, some, some poet, some writer back in this day, uh, he, he made a generalization about these people from the island of Crete. He says that the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. And Paul confirms this witness is true. Man, the culture and the lifestyle of the Cretans were not godly. They were not right. They were self-serving, slow bellies. And he says, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Here's the point I want to make here. Is that doctrine and purity in the church of the holy God is important. And sometimes it requires strength and backbone to deal with something. We need to stand up for doctrine and correctness and things that are right. You understand? If, if we don't, uh, you get into the book of Corinthians and there was sin taking place and uh, Christians saying they were Christians but living one other way. And the Bible has this principle that says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little bit of yeast is going to uh, make the whole piece of dough rise. It spreads. Purity in God's church with doctrine and lifestyle is important. It's important. He goes on and says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables, commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Here, here's the thing. There were teachers in these Christian churches. And the issue he's pointing out is that they were teaching anti-truth. Turned from the truth. They were mixing in stories. Um, whether they were uh, fables and tales or uh, stories from Greece, these other gods. They were mixing things in. And they were adding extra legalistic commands. If you're a Christian, you really should do this. But then that was not a doctrine taught by Jesus or, his, or the apostles. They were, they were adding things in. And they were ultimately turning away from the truth of the gospel. 
And here's the point he, he points out is that the problem is not that they just mixed other teaching with the Bible. The problem was that these teachers were simply not believers at all. The fact that their doctrine was off from the truth was showing that they were believing in something else entirely. And he says, um, even their mind and conscience is defiled. The point he was making that they were defiled. They were still serving themselves. They were unrepented men who need to be converted, these teachers. They need to be abruptly stopped. Uh, It needed to be corrected. All right, so I want to take a a little break. I want to talk about this. Uh, What does this mean to us? All right, we're talking about Crete and these churches. I can't go back there. I can't hop into those churches and see really what was going on. But what does this chapter teach us, right? Uh, what, do we, what do we learn from this? Some things are non-negotiable. In other words, there is something called absolute truth. How many of you heard this term, absolute truth? Doctrine is Doctrine. What this Bible says is what it says. We don't add to it. We don't take from it and we teach it. And the thing is, th- this is where we get our truth from. There's a, there's a built-in warning in the book of Titus about a few things. The, the fact is that there are men who will call themselves pastors that will uh, stand in the place of teachers, but they've turned from the truth. They may be teaching. It may sound similar but we've got to have a judgment. We've got to be able to understand what the truth is so that, by, uh, that we can hold fast the faithful word and be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convince the gainsayers, right? There, there will be people that you will hear that are false teachers. And that simply means they're just teaching, they're just adding stuff in or they're, they're, they're blending worldly philosophy in with the Bible or they're adding to uh, salvation. Maybe they, they tell you that not only do you have to uh, trust Jesus by faith, but you need to also uh, speak in tongues to be saved or they may add some works to salvation or they may add to Christianity. Maybe the Bible says that you should be holy and set apart and they may tell you what you need to wear to be holy and they may add commandments. You understand? This is uh, what he was talking about here. So there are men who will call themselves pastors and teachers and they turn from the truth. But the other warning that's built into this book of Titus is that there are cultural morals that do not line up with God's morals. That's just how it is. And we need to realize that. He emphasized the fact that there is a God that exists that we serve that cannot lie. But in this culture, the Cretans were liars. Those two aren't compatible. And, and the whole point as we get into this, uh, this book over the next couple weeks, uh, next three weeks, is that we are called out of the culture to be different and like God. We are peculiar people. Let me, let me explain. In Crete, the acceptable standard was lying. Everybody lies. It, you know, a little white lie, tell, the, tell what you want, tell people what they want to hear, right? It's okay, you're not, you're not hurting anybody, just, just lie. Well, for Jesus' followers, they were to represent the God who does not lie. It's not compatible. Christians shouldn't lie, all right? That's a non-negotiable. We, that's not something you get to change. Our walk, our lifestyle must match up with the word or the doctrine, 
The, Cre- the Cretans were known to be undisciplined people, uh, serving their own desires. They just did whatever they wanted to do. They ate food and they partied and they did whatever they wanted to do. God's people were called to be different. And chapter 2 calls them a peculiar people. Uh, he actually says in chapter 2, uh, look down in verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God has called you in this world to be different than the world. And that's something we just have to understand. Because there's a problem in Crete back then that there's a problem now is that culture has invaded the Christian life, the home, the Christian home. We're, we're too similar. We're not different. In, in, in this chapter, you've got these teachers in these churches that were liars. You've got these leaders, these elders that were just missing. They, they were nowhere to be found. Then you have Christians that were under the influence of everything happening around them. And that was a problem. Uh, and that, that Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, Titus was meant to fix. So I want to bring this to today. I, I just want to bring up a few things as examples. Uh, I can't teach whole messages about these right now, but I just want to raise awareness because I, you ever like be in a situation and like somebody starts talking and you're like, you got red flags going up in your head. You understand the terminology of red flags? Like, oh, that's a problem. I oh, remember that. I heard, you hear what they said? Red flag. That's not right. Um, I think that some like Christian homes and families, they're like red flags are broken or they don't exist. Maybe the, and I think that red flag is really the Holy Spirit working in their life. And, and some of us either aren't Christians or we have quenched the Spirit for so long that we don't listen anymore and we just do what kind of feels right, but we're not actually seeing, is this part of Scripture? Is this doctrine? Is, this, is my walk lining up with the Word? Let me give you a few examples uh, and then I'll wrap it up tonight, okay? Hey, we're making great time. <sighs> Matthew 19, verse 4. You can turn there. It may be on the screen. Maybe. All right, here we go. Matthew 19, 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? The world says today, there are many genders. You can be whatever you believe yourself to be. There's limitless number of genders. And, and you may be out of touch with what's happening. Maybe you don't have kids in school or maybe you don't watch TV. I don't know if you haven't heard that. But the idea is that this is becoming a cultural norm. It's at the hospitals on the forms you fill out. It's when you apply for jobs. Is they're asking what gender you are. They ask what your birth sex is and then they ask you what gender you are. And you could be any number of genders. And by the way, when you're on a Zoom call or when you're on FaceTime or some other thing, now they're asking you to put in your pronouns. Or do you want to... If you're a singular person, you could be called they and them. And the thing is, this is a cultural moral standard. But this is not doctrinal. It's not biblical. Does that make sense? So we don't follow it. We don't participate in it. And uh, one example that's really specific, uh, I have been in circles with uh, another pastor. But the thing is, I, I feel like as a Christian, if, if, if we're going to get on a Zoom call or something, right now when you get on Zoom calls with people, some people it'll say like, uh, him, him, he, or whatever the pronouns are, and you, they want you to put list your pronouns, or you see in emails, I, I've gotten even advertising for the church to buy things, and it's in somebody's email signature what their pronouns are. 
as a Christian, I am choosing not to participate. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not biblical. I, I have an, an option and even an obligation not to participate in that because that is my walk needs to line up with the word and that doesn't line up with the word. Does that make sense? I'm representing a God who has different standards than that. Now, I'm saying this uh, very sharply and pointedly. Uh, we're going to get down to as well, Christians don't hate people, aren't unkind to people. We show respect to people. But you can be loving and hosp- hospitable and you can care for people you don't know but still walk with God because that's what we're called to do according to the scripture. If God tells you to do it, you can do it. Hebrews 13.4 says this, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. According to the Pew Research Center several years ago, this is several years ago, 69% of Americans say cohabitation is acceptable even if a couple doesn't plan to get married. The idea in our culture today is that if you live together before you're married and have premarital sex or anything going on, it's normal. You shouldn't, you shouldn't think anything of that. It's just normal. Just normal. Listen, it may be normal for the world. It may be an acceptable, cultural, normal thing. But the Word says that marriage should be valued. Marriage is honorable in all. Everything, all sexual sin outside of marriage is called fornication for Christians. You understand? We just don't do that. That's not part of what we do. Our walk Our lifestyle should not be one like the world. Just because, even if you have family members and people that you know that that's acceptable for them, you need to be questioning, well, what's acceptable for God? What does God want me to do? Am I going to submit myself to this book or am I not? That's the question that we're learning in Titus. Is my walk matching the word? Is the, the doctrine matching my lifestyle? Here's another verse. Matthew 28, this is the doctrine, the teaching. But I say unto you, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Listen, cultural norm. Man, I feel, I used to be a teenager and hear preachers say what I'm saying and think that guy is so old. But I think he just was of sound mind. And had good judgment. Because as I look at culture, what's, what's normal these days? Everybody has on their phone these days TikTok, Instagram, dating apps, un- unfiltered access to the internet. It is normal in culture today. And they say that lusting, looking, just, just looking, oh, it's no, no problem. Browsing dating apps, checking people out on social media pornography, uh, scrolling TikToks and dance videos and everything that's out there, no big deal. Well, Jesus says it's lust and you're committing sin. Who are you going to listen to? 
This is the truth of Titus. This is what's happening on the island in Crete is you've got churches and these churches are, were, had people in them that their life looked so much like the world. And Titus was in there to set in order the things that are wanting and teach them to be people that were called out uh, to live for God, learning to live for God. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The culture normalizes this idea of, I'm trying to be wise with my words. The culture normalizes this idea of demanding higher wages. It's okay to show up late for work. It's okay to disrespect your boss. It's okay just to say what you want to say at the workplace and do whatever you want to do. And that is going to be addressed in Titus chapter 3. But the, the, the culture is it's normal now just to not work, to be entitled that I should, if I can't work, if I don't want to work, if I don't feel like working, if I really struggle with work, that I can depend on someone else to provide for me. I just want to be clear that there's a doctrine, a Bible teaching that says that we, as men specifically, are to provide for our own. Amen. We work. It's a Christian doctrine to work. That's why, that's why we stand there, and that's why we go to work, and that's why we uh, respect those that are in, our employers. We are different because we are different. Does that make sense? The doctrine of the Bible tells us that hard work is valuable and not providing for your home is to be despised. It's, it's something that's worse than being an unbeliever. It's, it's really bad thing, okay? Uh, we should work to provide. That's, we, we should not be lazy. Uh, the world can be lazy and careless, but we don't because we are submitting ourselves to doctrine and teaching. Does that make sense? Let me give you a, a few more. Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God says that we are to be people that are stirring one another up in spiritual things, provoking each other to love and to do good works. He, he says that as we see the day of Christ approaching, we ought to love to spend time together. Now, there's no specified what that looks like. Uh, you gotta, you got to come, you know, uh, Pastor Dave announced uh, his church, Three to Thrive, and they, they talked about uh, uh, Sunday morning church groups and serving, Three to Thrive, right? There was this thing in the past which was great because the service schedule was that way, Three to Thrive, come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But the principle is the same. Christians love and prioritize getting together with other Christians. Here's the thing. The culture prioritizes other things. The culture prioritizes workaholism, sports, hobbies, ambition, uh, getting together with unbelievers and partying, participating in sin together. The thing is, I'm trying to point out that we are different. We have doctrines. We have teaching. And we got to figure out what the teaching is. And we have to decide whether or not we're going to submit our life to this teaching or not. Because Christian's lifestyle matches up with Christian doctrine. Amen. Jeremiah 
Here's a doctrine. Here's a teaching from the Scripture. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. There's a principle, there's a teaching in the Scripture uh, and, and, uh, that's different than what the world teaches. See, society, the news, social media, they will all tell us that a fetus in the womb of a mother is simply a part of that woman's body. Is simply uh, something that she has every right to, and she has a right, if she so chooses, to take that life that's within her. The world, listen, the world says that taking the life of the unborn is a right to be protected. We just have to understand that maybe, just maybe, ask yourself, is the world influencing you or is Scripture influencing you? We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Scripture tells us that God, uh, that God makes it clear that a fetus is not just a fetus. It's a human life. It's a soul. A life that deserves to be protected just like yours and mine. A life that he knew before and he formed thee for fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb. And that's something that we have to renew our mind about. This may not be popular, But there's a wide way, a wide path that leads to destruction, and many find it, and there's a narrow path that leads to life everlasting. You understand? God's way is not popular. But you have to determine, is that your way too? All right? This is the whole purpose of the book of Titus. It's pretty practical, right? All right. Hey, this is great because uh, I've got one verse on my next page. And the rest didn't print out. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man. All right, here we go. Who needs notes? All right. This is crazy. Um, Matthew 28. Listen to this. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And I'm so tech savvy. I'm about to have my notes pulled up. Um, You can be proud of me, okay? Uh, Here we go. Man, this this is rough. All right. When it comes to this call, this command by the one that has all authority to go in the world and preach the gospel, there's this cultural norm that says, be silent. Don't speak. Don't, you should never push your beliefs on someone else. Not even your children, they tell you these days. Don't, you shouldn't teach your children what you believe about God. Don't do that. Let them figure it out on their own. Culture tells us to keep to ourselves, to be silent. It actually refers to our Christian beliefs as bigoted and hateful. Jesus tells us this instead, to go and tell everyone about him. That includes your children, includes your neighbors, your coworkers, and out in public, wherever you can tell the message, you tell the message. And we just have to determine, are we living uh, in this lifestyle that's formed by the world and what it's telling us to do, or formed by the word and the doctrine that God gives us? Let me sum it up this way. The world steals. Take things. The world lies. The world has unbridled anger. 
The world, when they need comfort through difficult time, runs to substance and people. The world is greedy. The world holds grudges, refuses forgiveness. The world is bitter. The world is full of pride. The world says, follow your heart and look out for yourself. Christians are not to be like the world. It's the message of Titus. We don't steal. Christians purchase things fair and square. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, I, I, we take for granted sometimes that these are basics. But culture is so forceful and so in your face and everything sinful is so normalized that the basics are just being taken away so easily. We don't lie as Christians. We tell the truth because the Lord we represent is the embodiment of truth. We control our anger, our hate, and our tongues through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've heard Christians say, I just say what I want to say, and I just do what I want to do, and that's just how I am. I just learned that from my dad. That's how I am. My mom taught me this. That's how I am. If you're a Christian, you have a new father. He doesn't teach you that way. And I'm, I'm speaking to myself sometimes, too. We've got to realize that we can get caught up and just make excuses for our lifestyle when the, when the calling of God is not to make excuses for your lifestyle, but depend on the Holy Spirit to work through your life and give you a new lifestyle that matches up with doctrine and the Word of God. Christians should never hold grudges. We forgive because we are forgiven. I've met people and say, I just can't forgive them for that. Or they did this to me, I'm just going to hold it against them. I'm never going to talk to them again. I'm writing them off. They say that about family even. Christians, we don't do that. There's actually a verse in the Bible that says, if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. Go read that one. What are you going to do with the scripture? Are you going to follow it? Or are you going to forget it? Christians are humble we should see pride as something to be avoided, not something to be pursued. Um, I grew up on Disney movies. I, I really do like all Disney movies. And I, I think they're fun. And I know all the songs, all of them. I have kids and I know all the songs. Actually, I knew the songs before I had kids. I just say that now to make it sound better. But I know all the songs to Disney movies. But one of the main themes of Disney movies is follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Do it feels good. Follow it. Oh, it's got to be right. If it feels that good, it's just got to be right. Christians don't follow their heart. The doctrine says our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Amen. Christians lead their hearts and submit them to Christ. We also don't look out for ourselves. See, the world is saying, listen, just take advantage of others. Get what you're getting and get it now while the getting's good. Just get it. Get it. Get ahead. Uh, beat, beat them out. Get that, get that promotion over them. Fight. Fight for everything. Get everything you can. Christians are taught to prefer others above themselves. I'm bringing all this out because I want you to see that when we study Titus, and it talks about, it uses these words, be able to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Like, it's hard to relate to. The gainsayers. It's, it's hard to relate to some of these stories in Crete. Nah, we'll never be there. We don't know anything about that. 
But this is very relatable because it, it's, it's the same thing we're facing today as what they faced back then. And, and they needed leadership in their lives. They needed leadership from the word, sound doctrine. Um, this book of Titus, the whole thing, it's calling Christians to know what the Bible says. That's the doctrine. And then it's calling them to live in a way where the doctrine becomes their lifestyle. You understand? We should be people known for having lives that match up with the book. You understand? When Pastor Tony preaches, he's not just preaching just so you feel encouraged. It's not the point. Uh, the point of preaching is so that we can examine. The Bible calls it a, a perfect law of liberty. It describes it like a mirror in the book of James. That we look into the perfect law of liberty and it shows us problems. It's like we go into the mirror and, and the, the Bible talks about uh, that we need to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And if we go up into a mirror and we see that we have stuff all over our face and your drool from last night's all down the side of your face and you got something in your teeth, you wouldn't just like walk away. Well, maybe you would. You should fix those things. That's the idea of the word is we, it reveals to us things in our life that aren't doctrinal, aren't biblical, aren't godly. And out of our love for Jesus and our desire and our thankfulness that he saved us, we say, you're our Lord, we follow you. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. I'll change that. Uh, I left off one verse in this chapter because I wanted to end with it. Uh, Titus chapter 1, the last verse. It's really a summary verse. Verse 16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. We just have to be careful that we don't participate in the prayer group on Facebook God, please help me. God, I'm praying for so-and-so. But our whole lifestyle is contrary to God's word. We have to be careful that we're not trying to enjoy the benefits of Christian community and life at church when our lifestyle doesn't match up with the doctrine. You understand? The most imp- it's, it's very important that you see how those two should go together. Uh, this was being spoken of. It says they're being abominable doing things that God despises. They're being disobedient. Uh, Jesus, he spoke and he said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, think about my commandments and how nice they are. He said, keep them. And I think we can get caught up sometimes just to go with the flow because if other Christians are kind of lukewarm, if other Christians are kind of just, eh, well, we're kind of that way too. But we need to really analyze ourselves. And this is where we're going over the next few weeks. I'm just going to teach through these verses. But the whole purpose of Titus is to look at ourselves. And I want to see this uh, theme verse that I've titled this after. Uh, In Titus 2, this is really the key passage of the whole book of Titus. Titus 2, verses 11 through 15. It talks about our salvation, but then it talks about the why of our salvation, what's expected because of our salvation. Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's good news right there. 
God's goodness is poured down on all men. It brings salvation. Uh, It's something we have uh, access to. But it teaches us something. Verse 12 says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God saves us, and that grace that is so good to us isn't, it's not the type of grace that you just abuse. It's not the type of grace where it's like, God is so forgiving, I can do anything I want to do now. That's not what grace is. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And then verse 13 says, this focus that we should have looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christians have a focus that's different than the world. Man, it's so exciting. Jesus is going to come back. There's a hope that we have, a, a, a reality of what's to come. But look at this, verse 14. Who gave himself for us. That. It's about to define the reason that he gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That is a message that Titus had to take to these people in Crete. That God gave himself for us so he could call us out of sin to live purely for him. He wanted us to be zealous of good works. Peculiar people. Christians are peculiar because they live a lifestyle that matches up with the character of God, the doctrine or the teaching. That's why we're peculiar. We're not weird. We're different because God's different.